Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation Amen. now on um, our website, lifejourneyva.com. I, I but I want us to, to actually start over here in Ephesians chapter 3 and see if I can even find this. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, there it is. So, oh, yeah. If you have a donation, thanks, Mary Rose, that you would like to put in to help contribute to the cost of what we do, um, that would be fantastic. Uh, if you don't like giving by check or cash, we have online giving that you can do through our website. Um, so... We would all probably agree that the Lord is pretty wise, right? This Ephesians 3 thing, it's not in the notes if you're going on the Bible note. This is just something that I thought of as we were singing. We would probably all conclusively agree that, that the Lord is, 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 is wise. I mean, great wisdom. Of all the ways for the Lord to express his wisdom, just how wise he is, do you know the method, the means by which he has chosen to express his wisdom? Anybody? I mean, let's think about this. Solomon, the wisest man to live. His wisdom was expressed through his, his uh, in many ways, but one particular way through his judgments. Uh, remember the two women that came fighting over the, ba- the, the, the child? And the one said it was hers, and the other said it was hers. They were fighting over custody. Remember what Solomon said? He said, I got an idea. Let's cut the baby right in half. And you can have half and you can have half. Uh, That didn't fly over too well with who? The true mother who said, no, no, no. If that's going to be the case, give her to her. The other woman, if I remember correctly, hadn't read that story in a while, said, fine, let's cut them in half. Was that the way of it? So through that, Solomon expressed his wisdom and his judgments and how he judged. Side note, I think it's pretty wild today in America. You have women, people, not just women, coming to the judges asking to kill the baby and the judges hopefully seeking to give life to the child. Back then, Solomon was the one who said, let's kill it. And the, babe, the mothers were trying to keep it. But this, that's off the record. That's, that's, that's not for anything. That's just a wildness of where we are today. But anyways, um, how did God choose in all the ways that he could possibly choose to express his wisdom, to reveal, to manifest his wisdom. How did he choose to do that? Let's read Ephesians chapter 3. Oh gosh. Uh, Start verse uh, uh, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. The mystery of what? What mystery? As I have written briefly, 
when you read this, you can perceive into my insight into this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, our, our, our forefathers, our, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, they didn't know this, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this mystery is that it's Jews and Gentiles all together in Christ. Of this gospel, Jews, Gentiles coming together, this mystery, I was made a, mis a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, a little humility there, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, his history. There's a mystery in this history. But I have come to bring it to light, this mystery of God's history, to bring it forth. Verse 10, so that through the what? Church, the bride of Christ. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Who are the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? At minimum, it's the angels in heaven, but it's also the demons of hell. God has chosen to use the church, this mystery, this mysterious thing of God having a son, which was hidden from previous generations, who not only was manifested as the Lord of all, but that he also had for himself a bride, the church of both Jew and Gentile, well, that was new, to be brought together as his very own holy bride. This is how God has chosen to reveal his wisdom. He chose to, of all the ways he could have, he chose to reveal his wisdom by taking sinful, wicked, dead man and through recreation, new heart, making us the very bride of Christ. This was all hidden, but Paul said it was there. So when we think about how God reveals his wisdom of all the ways, it's by joining you to his son as a new man a new woman in Christ. And so what we're going to do as, as we're going now into, our, into our, 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 our journey that we've been going through in Genesis, we have Paul in the New Covenant writing to the Ephesians saying that all of this mystery of Christ and the bride, it's all there, it's hidden in the Old Testament. It's all there. It was hidden from generations past. Whose generations past? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes. It was hidden from them, hidden from David, hidden from Solomon, hidden from Jeroboam, all of them, you name them. It was hidden, but it was there. 
And in our journey, we're trying, we're, we're, we're pressing in, asking the Lord to help us to live by or walk by faith. Because it's walking by faith that truly allows us to live in this dependency upon Jesus. But how does that look? How do, we, how do we live from that? How do we grow in that? I think we grow in that by seeing the scene, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see the scene, but we realize that there's something hidden. There's a mystery in there that by faith, as we see it, comes forth. Just as you can stare in the mirror when you get home and you can see the scene, but the scripture says that there is something unseen. And if we see as God sees, we can pull this, if you will, this veil of flesh away. We behold the very glory of God now in us. It's who we are. By our work, by our effort, not at all. By his grace and by his promise. So here's our passage that we've been launching from, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is the Christian walk. This is the Christian life, by faith, not sight. And so we've started back in Genesis. We started with creation. It's all on the podcast. I encourage you to check it out. But we've come all the way up through to Abraham's life and and, and in Incredible summary for time and for, you know, not to insult your intelligence or memory. We have seen Abraham as the father of faith. Abraham, when he tried to use his own flesh to bring about God's promise, which was a child, he, God cut off a piece of that flesh, circumcision. And God brought forth Isaac, a son of the promise. And Isaac was laid down as a picture of death on that altar at likely the same mountain that the temple was erected on thousands, uh, generations later. And Hebrews, as we saw last week, says that Isaac coming up off the altar, though he didn't die physically, actually, is a picture of the resurrection that, God, that Abraham believed that even if he did die, God would raise him from the dead. But there was a ram, a sacrifice, but a picture of death and resurrection. And now what we're going to see today, Isaac has grown up. Abraham is dead, uh, is old, about to die. And he sends a servant to go find a bride for Isaac. So you have faith, circumcision, death, resurrection, wedding. Do you see that? Abraham through Isaac so far. That, my friends, there's a mystery in that history of God. Abraham is a picture of when we first believe, we are not just credited like Abraham, something better. We're actually made righteous, but it's by faith. It's believing. And upon believing, we have the circumcision, not just of a little piece of the flesh, but the entirety of the flesh, a circumcision without hands, but by God himself, by Christ himself, cutting away the inner man from the outer man so that the inner man, the old man, the old Adam is taken out and is what happened with Isaac? Death. I've been crucified with Christ. If we've been placed into his baptism, we've been placed into his death. But not just death. Isaac came up off the altar, resurrection, a whole new creation, a whole new life. And as we'll see today with Isaac and Re- uh, Rebecca, I'm going to say Rachel for some reason over and over. So just remember, if I say it, it's really Re- Rebecca. Um, wedding, a marriage. We believe we are cut away. 
We died with Christ, we're raised with Christ, and we are joined to Christ, as we'll see with Rebecca and Isaac today. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's roll. There's a lot of verses here. We're not going to comment on all of them, but some of it is just out of this world awesome. Now, Abraham was old, advanced and aged, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every single way. So what are those ways? Well, the main promise was a son, right, through, Ra- uh, through <laughs> I almost said Rachel, through Sarah, right? But I don't think it's limited just to this. I mean, the name of Abraham in this culture was a powerful name. We were talking about this during setup. That remember, he had a whole army born in from his uh, from his uh, servants and whatnot that he used several chaps, chapters ago to go fight not one king but five kings victoriously. I mean, Abraham is a very powerful, wealthy man, and so I think you can think of financial wealth in, when you hear blessing in every way. Abraham told his servant, now there's no name here, but with probably Eliezer, remember he's the one that he said, cannot Eliezer be the, the promised child? I mean, he's going to be the inheritor of my stuff. And, and God said, no, your, 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 your heir is not going to be a, a slave. It's going to be a son. So he told his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, this is what he says to him. We'll talk about this a little bit because it's wild. Please place your hand under my thigh and I will and I will make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac two things I want felt like Nixon there two things that I want to point out really really quickly on this, because there's a lot that we're going to look at today. Under my thigh, this Hebrew word thigh, it's very vague. Um, it's used as lawns. It's used also in more of like the private parts, if you will. See, we don't have any too many young ears. Okay, so maybe I can sh- explain this a little bit. What, Abra- what Abraham is telling his servant to do is say, he said, place your hand under me. And swear by something. Why would he do this? This is so strange to me. In fact, the Hebrew, in English, the word testimony, if you give a testimony, comes from the very same word that we get the other English word that sounds like testimony. Okay, we all together? We all smiling? If, if you're, if you're lost... Afterwards, come and ask, right? Um, but they are from the same word. Why would this other word what, and testimony come from, what do they have with each other in this culture? And it's not just Hebrew culture. There's many other cultures that did this. The emphasis was, I swear on your lineage. I am taking this so seriously that I'm not just swearing with you. Abraham, but my swear, my promise, my oath is on what everything that comes from you. Do we see that picture? Very wild, isn't it? My thigh. In a couple of generations, Jacob has uh, uh, Joseph put his hand under his thigh. 
and swear as well. Same idea, same concept, same picture. And so the servant is being asked to not just make a swearing with Abraham here, but with the seed of Abraham. And who does Paul in Galatians tell us the seed is? It's Christ. So Abraham believes, he is still believing that God's going to bring this about. And Abraham is so impassioned, so so uh, uh, anxious about that. He wants this to happen so much that he says, I don't want you to shake my hand. But I want you to swear by my offspring with your testimony that this is going to be what you do. That's the first thing I want to explain. The second thing is, why go to another country? Remember, Abraham and his whole family, well, three of them, but, uh, and all of the group, there's a ton of them, they are living in the land of, the, of Canaan, which is present-day Israel. But they had come from the Ur of the Chaldeans. They had come from Mesopotamia, from a far-off place that God had brought them from. And I want you to listen to this. This is so cool to me. Abraham says, I do not want you to take a wife for my son from these Canaanites. I get this imagery. I see this idea that he's saying these Canaanites, they're not compatible with my son. I want you to go back to our family, the ones who are of us, the same lineage, the same, I don't know, DNA, the same heritage, and go back. They are compatible, but they're in a foreign country. you got to travel to go get there. And so I hear Abraham saying, these Canaanites, you know, we're living here, but we're not compatible with them. Go and get what is compatible and bring them here. Does that sound familiar? To Christ, who longed for a bride, but none of humanity was compatible with him. And so he had to create from his very own, quote, family, a bride that was compatible with him. Do you see that? Awesome. The servant said to him, verse, <laughs> verse 5, Now before I swear by your thigh, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. I go all the way out there and she doesn't want to come back. Should I take your son back to the land? Do you want me to take him back there? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. Verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, and there's an S there, I don't know why, because in the Hebrew it's singular, to your seed, I will give this land. He will send his angels before you, and he will show you, uh, and will and will take uh, before you, and you will take a wife um, for my son from there. So Abraham is saying, "Look, don't take my son to that place. My son is here in this foreign land, but you're going to go back to where the compatible people are and bring them here." All right. But if the woman is not willing to follow, it's a proposal. It's not a command. If the woman, don't drag her here. You ask her. If she's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this, from my oath. Only do not take my son back there. I was going to wait till later to say this, but it just makes sense right now to say it. I see Abraham as a picture of the father 
Isaac, of course, a picture of Jesus here. The church being the bride that's going to get proposed to. But whom do you think, whom, who do you think the servant sounds like he's a picture of? Who is serving the father, going to quote unquote propose to the bride? Who does that sound like in the Godhead to you? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit. I could be wrong on that, but yeah, doesn't it sound like the Spirit? Where the Spirit goes and he proposes to a bride. And if he says, the bride says yes, then come on. But if he says no, you, you know, don't drag her. She's free to choose. So cool, isn't it? Verse 9, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of his master and swore to him concerning this matter. As we just saw, though, he's not just swearing to Abraham. He's swearing to Abraham's seed, what will come forth, his progeny. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went out to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So, and I'm not trying, this is not a ooh, gross thing. This is a wow, awesome thing. So the servant puts his hand under the thigh to swear, but the servant can't take what's in his hand in the thigh to the foreign place to get the wife. So he puts something of the masters in the hand. And we'll see in a second what it is. But the variety of the good things of his masters, the wealth, he puts that into his hand to travel. In later generations and in later cultures, it's just like a servant of a king who is sent on a, mess to, uh, on a journey with a message. Many times the king would give a symbol of the king. A lot of times his ring or you know, some other sort of symbol of his authority. And that servant, he doesn't take the king with him, but he takes a symbol, a sign, a picture of the king. Again, a signet ring or, or something along those lines. To the foreign other king or, or culture to show that this message actually is from that king. And so the king, the, the messenger has in his hand a representation, a small piece of what the king actually is about and actually has and possesses. And I see the very same thing here. The, mass, the servant, he's taking in his hand, he can't take what he did have in his hand, but he's taking something else in his hand to this foreign place to find a bride, to propose, to say, if you would only believe what I have for you here, just wait and see what else is yours. Did not Jesus promise that the Holy Spirit would come to reveal to us what is the Lord's? Little pictures, little snippets of what the Lord himself possesses so that as we see what the Holy Spirit has in front of us and for us, that it's actually revealing something bigger and greater and more glorious than what we could ever see or imagine with our own eyeballs. And so I see the servant doing the same thing. Verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city. So he's traveled a long way over to the city of Nahor. And he puts the 
camels down at a well at the evening time, and it's the time when women would go out to the well to draw water. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, he prays to, to God, it's so cool, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers, here's the reply, drink and I will water your camels also. Whoever does that, may she be the one to whom you have pointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Everybody on the same page? So he's basically saying, God, here's, here's my plan. I'm going to go and I'm going to say, hey, can I have a drink? And whichever girl, kind of strange, but this is how he said it. Whichever girl says, hey, not only for you, but I will draw water for all your camels. Ab uh, uh, the servant is saying, let that, be, let that be a sign to me. Before he had finished speaking. So he wasn't even done praying and asking God for this sign. Behold, Rebecca, not Rachel, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention that. Abraham's brother is Nahor, and he, she's going to the city of Nahor. So it's, she's bound to find some people that are compatible with Isaac. She came out with this jar on her shoulder. We'll, talk, we'll come back to this later, but we've talked about in our little series through Genesis how names, Hebrew names, mean something, right? Abraham means Abram, his first name, his original name, I mean, great father. He had no kids, but it was kind of weird. But great father had no kids. Then God changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. Only had one kid at the time, and that wasn't even the promised kid. Had the son Isaac, whose name means laughter, joy. Because at first it was laughter of disgust, then it became laughter of, wow, how could this be? But we talked about Noah's name, Noah, which means rest. Noah, Noah in the ark, a picture of us resting in Christ, our ark. So we've talked about how these names matter. These names mean something. Um, somebody whom I haven't talked to already today about this. Does anybody know what the name Rebecca means in the Hebrew? Any ideas? It literally means to join, to tie together, or to secure something to someone else, something else. Now, I don't know if you're already there. If you're not, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get there together. But the servant is going to find a woman who would come and be what to Isaac? To be joined to him, to be Tied to him. Ever heard the phrase, tie the knot? He, the servant, for crying out loud, is going to find someone who he can Rebecca to Isaac. And behold, before he's done praying, tie up, walks out. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. We'll come back to that. 
The girl, Rebecca, she's beautiful. She's a virgin. And, she, and no man, meaning no man had had relations with her. She went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came back up, presumably towards where the servant was. Or, well, the servant ran to meet her. Love that. And he said, all right, remember the deal? Remember the, 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 how he wants it to work out? He said, please let me have a little drink of water from your jar. Well, how does Rebecca reply? She says, drink, my Lord, drink all you want. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder down to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, here it is. I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. If you were that little servant, I mean, what's going through your mind? Like, wow, it's working. It's happening. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she, and she drew for all his camels. How many camels was it? Anybody remember? Ten. Ten. I have no idea how much camels drink. But that's around 40 gallons. All right. We have a, we have a camelologist in the crowd. Um, yeah, that's right. So that's a lot of water. If she fills them all full. Yeah, exactly. So uh, where are we at? Um, uh, Verse 21. Meanwhile, okay, like while this is happening, I love it. Like while she's running back and forth getting 400 gallons. It took me a second. Carry the zero. 400 gallons of water. The man was gazing at her in silence. I love that. He, he's, he, the other translations, I think, are, if you have like King James, was uh, he was wandering. He was just pontificating. He was just, um, uh, this new American center, he's just gazing in wonder and amazement at her. Like, wow, what beauty, what grace. She's got to be the one for Isaac, my master. So... Uh, and that's exactly what it says. He gazed at her, wandered, pondered to know, is she the one? Is she the one that's going to make my journey successful or not? Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, there you go. So they had their full. What a woman. The man took, I think, the stuff that he had in his hands that he brought with him. He took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, wearing 10 shekels in gold. Now, how much is that? Anybody have, you know, trade your gold by shekel these days? Um, there's a variety of opinions because, I mean, there's been a lot of history since this and today. But most people would say, that I found at least, that this is, at today's rate, some $5,000 worth of gold. And we'll learn that the, the ring is actually in her nose and, the, and the, um, the bracelets, of course, around her wrists. $5,000 in gold. Now, you say, well, but man, Abraham was a lot more wealthy than just five. I mean, that's, that's pennies compared. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's nothing compared. Kind of like how the Queen of Sheba says, man, not even the half has been told. The little bit that we can see, the little bit that we can, can understand about the glorious riches of the gospel, it's nothing. It's 5,000 bucks compared to one of the most wealthiest men in Canaan. 
It's nothing. And he says to her, verse 23, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. So get this picture. She responds by doing the camels, the water for the camels. He gives her, the servant gives the potential wife $5,000 in gold. What, what did the wife give back? Straw and feed. Straw. So think, think with, did the servant go there with the hope of, all right, I'm going to invest a little bit here so that I, so that we, my master, can be rewarded with, with wealth and with pleasure from, from what she can bring to us? He gave her $5,000 in gold. She gave him some straw. What is that saying? I think it's saying that the Lord is not looking to a bride to complete him, to further him. He's looking to a bride because he wants one. He wants to love her. He wants to give to her from himself. So cool to me. Verse 26, then the man bowed down and he worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord. Now he's got his little praise and worship going on. The God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me all this way to the, mount, to the house of my master's brother. Then the girl ran. This is before GPS, by the way. Like, how did he even end up in the right place? I mean, it's just amazing. Then the girl ran towards her mother's household uh, and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name is Laban. Let's don't forget Laban because we're going to learn more about Laban uh, in a couple of weeks. And Laban ran out to the man at the spring when he saw the rings and the bracelets. And that, and we'll learn more about Laban, but he sees the bling and he's like, hey, we got to do something nice to this guy. Uh, Laban's a little, uh, we'll talk about him more later. He saw the ring and the bracelets in his sister's wrist, in his nose and wrist. And when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, he said, uh, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man, he, uh, and behold, he was standing at the camels with the camels about the springs. And he said to him, Laban said to this man who's brought all this wealth, he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside when I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? Again, we'll, we'll get into more of Laban's background, but I just don't find him all that genuine. Uh, we'll see why in a couple of chapters in Genesis. So the man entered into the house. Uh, yeah, entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. I just put that in red too, not because of anything uh, necessarily uh, direct. But the night before Jesus' death, yeah, he washed the feet of his disciples. The night before, he did what he needed to do to secure, to tie up a bride, to join a bride. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. It's just too many correlations happening here. But when food was set before him, 
and he was to eat, the servant said, I will not eat. I think it's so cool. We're not going to fellowship over food. We're not going to sup. We're not going to eat. We're not going to dine together. We're not going to have fellowship in this way because I have some business until my business is done. And so he was told to speak on verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and has given him flocks and herds. This is all the blessing, right? The financial blessing. Herds, silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. In today's term, that's like, you know, uh, yachts and, and, and stocks and bonds and, you know, real estate. That's, it's a lot of wealth. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. This is, this is John 14, 15, 16. Everything that was the father's is now the son's. Remember Jesus says in that prayer in chapter 16, he says, the glory that you have given to me, I now have given to them I mean, this is the same exact thing. Everything that was Abraham's has now become Isaac, and Isaac is looking for a bride to give it to. I mean, it's, how can we deny? This is the mystery hidden in God's history. It's so cool to me. Um, I lost my place. Um, um, all that he has, verse 37. Um, my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaan, the Canaanites in, in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a, son, a wife for my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman doesn't follow me. He, and uh, he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife for my son from the relatives of my father's house. Uh, from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. Then you will come to my relatives. And if they do not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. So there's a lot of, uh, of, of um, vulnerability here. I mean, Abraham is putting the full riches of his uh, stuff in the hands of this servant to represent his whole wealth. And he is by Abraham, almost by faith, is saying, if this isn't enough to draw a bride to my son then you're free. But I'm trusting that what I have to offer a bride is enough. I'm not going to compel her. I'm not going to force her. I'm not going to drag her. But what I have, I believe, is going to be enough to draw her to my son. So cool. So verse 42. So I came today to the spring. This is the servant recounting. He's, he's giving a report. And he says, he prays, O Lord, that we already read this, the God of my master Abraham, whom uh, if now you will take, uh, you will make my journey, which I go successful. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes to draw and who says, "Please let me drink a little uh, water from your jar," and if she were to say to me, "You drink, and I will draw for your camels," also let her be the one who will uh, the Lord has appointed as my father's son, or my father's wife, so, my father's my master's son. You can read. Sorry. Verse 45, before I had finished speaking, he's just giving a report to her father and her mother, telling what happened. Behold, Rebecca, who means what? To tie, to join, 
to secure something to something else. She came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from his shoulder and said, drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I said to her and asked, whose daughter are you? She replied to me, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to her. And I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So that's all review. He said, this is what happened. We know that. We read it. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, let me go so that I may turn to the right or to the left. In other words, if she's not going to come, let me know and I'll go find someone else. But if she is going to come, let me know. Verse 30. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Pretty cool, huh? There's something missing, though. What's missing so far? Rebecca's willingness. I mean, there's two men, her brother and Bethuel, who are saying, yeah, hey, you take her. She's all yours. But that's not how the Lord wanted it. That's not the way of the new covenant. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments, and he gave them to Rebekah. She also gave pre- he also gave precious things to the brother and mother. He then, uh, then he and the men who were with him ate, and they drank, and they spent the night. And they arose in the morning and said, Send us away to my master." But here's what's so cool, verse 55. But her brother and her mother said, let, let, let the girl stay with us for a few more days. Say 10. You got 10 camels, one for each day, I guess. Say 10. Afterwards, she can go. What I think is so neat about this, first of all, the woman herself hasn't given permission yet. That'll come in a second. But what's so cool about they're asking basically for a 10-day engagement. They're saying, let's just sit on this for 10 days. You've proposed, you know, we're going to give her, but let's just sit on it for 10 days. Let's have an engagement of sorts. Let's just slow the roll a little bit. But verse 56 says, he says to them, do not delay me. Either this is or this isn't. Do not delay me. Since the Lord has prepared my way, send me away now so that I can go to my master. And they said, well, we'll call the girl. Here's where she comes in. And to consult her wishes. Verse 58. Then they called Rebekah and they said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. She said yes. Now, why does the servant not want this 10-day sort of engagement, this 10-day sort of delay? Well, let me ask you, in the new covenant, when the Lord proposes to you and you say yay or nay, let's say you say yay, is there a 10-day waiting period before you become his bride? Is there a 
lifelong waiting period and then when you die physically you one day become his bride do you or even longer than that are put into the ground and you're just in this sort of soul sleep waiting for his return then you'll become his bride no the proposal and the response to the proposal is the wedding we don't do that in our culture we were married, uh, engaged for like six months or so. I've heard some people have been engaged for, you know, 10 years or something. I'm like, yeah, not us. <laughs> I, can't, I can't roll like that. But, um, but, there, there is, there, but the picture that he's painting here is there is no waiting period. There is no let's wait and see. There is no. It's, it's yes, and you are the bride, which we'll see here in a second. Thus they went her, sent her away, verse 59, to their sister, uh, sent their sister Rebecca and the nurse with Abraham's servant on the men. They sent him away. They blessed Rebecca and they said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants, again, that's, that's singular, may your seed possess the gates of those who hate them. We saw that same blessing last week. And it basically means... Um, may your descendant be Lord over anyone who doesn't like him. Because the gate was the most important place of the city. If you own the gate, you own the city. And what they're saying is, may your descendant be Lord, be master over all. Those who love him by, by default, but even those who hate him. Which we see Jesus becoming who is the seed that's to follow. A um, couple last verses here. Then Rebekah arose with her maids and they mounted the camels and they followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac, verse 62, Isaac's back in the land of Canaan. He had, got, uh, had come from going to Berlehoroi, for he, he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. The scripture doesn't say this, so let's don't go too wild here. But Isaac knows that a servant has gone to get a bride and he's waiting. What do you think he might be meditating on? What do you think he might be pondering? What do you think he might be thinking about? Now, the scripture doesn't say. I would guess that Isaac is sitting there Pondering, wandering, meditating on what's she going to be like? What's she going to look like? What's she going to smell like? What's she going to feel like? What kind of wife is she going to be? What kind of mom is she going to be? Is this, really is this, is this gonna, yeah, I can't wait. Is, what is this? Maybe, maybe he's just thinking about the bears. I don't know. But I'm thinking he is pondering on this woman that's coming and while he's thinking about her pondering desiring her before he even meets her um sorry lost my place again there's a lot of verses um he it towards it, towards the evening he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold camels were coming rebecca from her camel lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she got off the camel, dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, who is that man? Right? Do you see that? Again, the scripture doesn't say that she's like taken in that sense. 
But don't you think in this long journey, there's been plenty of men that they've passed? I would say so. But do you hear the romance here? Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Who is that guy? And a servant said, that is my master. Then she took her veil and she covered herself. Why? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. I don't want to get too wild on this. It could be. Here's some thoughts. Maybe she felt a sense of unworthiness. That's my master. That, I mean, that's my, my, my husband. Like maybe she felt unworthy. Maybe it was, uh, uh, I don't belong with him. Separation. Like, let me cover myself. Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, they covered themselves and they hid. Maybe it was just respect and dignity, kind of like you curtsy, you know, in the olden days in front of somebody, or a man would take his hat off, you know, something, maybe that's all it was. Maybe it's not more than that. But if there was this image or this picture of, remember, she's getting water for camels when they met, And this guy has got camels upon camels upon camels and gold and silver and armies. Because everything that was the father Abraham's is now Isaac's. Because Ishmael got none of it. He wasn't above the promise. And so this boy Isaac, this young man Isaac has it all. Don't you think there was a little sense perhaps of who am I? I'm just Rebecca feeding cattle. This is my husband cover up in maybe a shame or a I don't know a lack of confidence maybe she's huh or maybe blushing blushing who knows but what did Isaac see did Isaac see someone who was unworthy did some did Isaac look at her and say I just don't think this is going to cut it for me Oh, no. Let's put our... Well, let's just read it. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Why Sarah's tent? Because that's where the promise was going to come from, from Sarah. And he took Rebekah, who means to secure together with something else, to tie, to unite. And she became his wife in the tent. And he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. She covered up with the veil. Why? We don't know. But if it was, I feel unworthy, I don't have much to offer I mean, he gave me gold. I gave him what? Straw. Did that matter to Isaac? She put the veil on. What did he take off? Not just the veil, but he took it all off. And he joined himself to her. And they became husband and wife in that tent, the tent of promise. What is this all saying? Is this just some random story? from random people that we're just happening to read today? I don't think so. I think this is the very mystery of Christ and his church, Christ and his bride, whom a spirit was sent to a far off distant place to find someone who was compatible, his own, born of his own spirit, 
except the man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and has brought that bride to Christ. And with a feeling, certainly we all have it, of I'm unworthy. I, I, I can't. I, how am I? Who am I compatible with him? The Lord doesn't care. The Lord doesn't see who we think we are. He sees who he has made us to be, his bride. Rebecca went from watering camels to being married to the most wealthy man in the world. The veil came off. Isaac, complete delight with Rebecca. She was what he desired. And now Rebecca found herself secured, joined, united to Isaac. Rebecca is now rebecca Our journey marker, and then I have a couple following final close-up comments, is this. Oh, well, did I? I think I put it after all this. Sorry. We'll have to come back. Here's the journey marker. So we're talking about walking by faith. Walking by faith is being confident in your eternal security. What does Rebecca mean? Secure, fixed, tied, joined. Walking by faith is being confident in your eternal security, your eternal joinedness, your eternal Rebecca-ness, if you will, with Jesus, which came by marriage to him. Remember Abraham? Faith and cutting away. Faith and circumcision. Isaac, death and resurrection. Now with Rebecca, joining. Union. Marriage. Secure in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've seen this verse many times over our life as a church. It's so big. The one who joins himself. The one who secures himself. The one who Rebecca's, if you will, himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's us. Us who believe we have been joined like Rebecca to Isaac. We have been joined to the Lord himself. And what is the Lord's view of us? What is his opinion of us? He says it right here. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives because here's the substance. Husbands, wives, that's a shadow. Here's your substance. Just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her, death and resurrection, so that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her, washed her, made her new by the washing of water with the word, the word, what word? Of his sacrifice for her. That he might present to himself. Imagine not just Isaac meditating out there in the field. But imagine the Lord of glory meditating and pondering on what is being presented to him. His bride. He did all this so that he might present to himself the church. Revealing the wisdom of God in all of her glory. What glory is that? The glory that he has given us, union with him. Just as Rebecca might have been, I don't know, uh, uncertain of her glory covering up her veil. What I hear the Lord saying is, no church, no church, take off the veil. There's nothing to hide. 
I have created you in all splendor and glory. Having no spot, no wrinkle or any such thing. The beauty of Rebecca to Isaac, a shadow, pale in comparison of the beauty of the bride of Christ, you to Christ himself, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands, because of this substance we have with Christ, husbands, let us see that and let us love our own wives, even as we love our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself because you're one with her. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What does Christ do to the church? Cherishes. Christ cherishes the church. And it's for this reason, oh, because we are members of his body. And it is for this reason. It is for the whole reason of Christ's love and cherish and adoration with the church that he has created through his death, spotless, wrinkleless, full of glory. For that glorious reason, that's why we turn around to each other and take a bride. For the reason of Christ and his church, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined, be Rebecca'd, if you will, to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So what is walking by faith? It's not just believing. It's not just seeing our circumcision, the cutting away of the inner and the older. It's not even just believing our death in him and our resurrection, what Isaac happened to Isaac. But it's also being confident that we have actually been united, secured. We've been Rebecca'd to the God of the universe by marriage with Jesus himself. 77% of Christians believe that their salvation is not secure, but they must add to it works of the flesh, obedience to the commandments in order to secure their relationship with God forever. 77% of Christianity Let that sink in for a second. How in the world, if you are in that 77% category, how can you ever walk by faith and not by sight? All you're doing is focusing on what is seen. Oh, messed up there. Oh, and you're putting the veil. You're putting the veil. You're putting the veil over. I'm unworthy. I'm undone. I'm I'm so dirty, unclean. And the truth is, no, you're not. You once were, yes, but you are not anymore. For you have been washed clean, spotless. Not just that's how Jesus sees you, it's who you are. So walking by faith in this total dependency upon him is coming to terms with the fact that we are secured because we have been secured. We have been joined with Rebecca, if you will, to Jesus Christ himself through marriage. I think that's enough. I got some other stuff, but that's enough for now. Maybe we'll cover some other stuff next week. Does that make sense? Are we seeing this? Are we seeing this progression of this mystery that Paul has said? It's there, it's hidden, but it has now been revealed. What does this do? Are are we coming here hearing, okay, here's the 17 steps to walking by faith? No. You say, well, what's so practical about this? I don't get the practical implication. Like, what's so practical? Give me something to practice I don't think there's anything practical about walking on water. Is there anything practical about a man taking some fish and feeding 5,000? How do we do that? You can give the seven steps to walking on water. 
This is something supernatural. This is something super superior that has happened in us that if we would by faith see and believe and receive and walk in, it changes us not by some external practices changing, but by the life of Christ within whom we have been secured to as Rebecca was secured to Isaac. Next week, we're going to see they had some kids, Esau and Jacob, pictures of the inner man and the outer man. Before we head home today, uh, any thoughts, any questions, any, but what about, are you part of that 77? If you're part of that 77%, I'm telling you, it's misery, despair, no walking by faith whatsoever. But any questions or thoughts or, hey, but what about, or um, what did you mean by this or anything along those lines? I guess uh, probably another 20% after that 77% believe then that, um, that unless you do certain works or unless you're a good Christian or whatever, then you're going to be like the first step Christian and oh, yeah. for you to be like a top tier Christian or whatever you have to be perfect and yeah. everything which yeah. isn't the truth because I mean as Jesus said in the parables um, of the field workers the parable mm-hmm. of the field workers um, uh, they all got uh, paid the same yeah the field worker who uh, starts work at 2 o'clock in the afternoon gets the same pay as the field worker that yep. starts at 7 in the morning that's right so. that's right Yep. He is the reward. Yep. It's not your labor that creates the reward. It, he is the reward. Amen. Any, any other thoughts or questions or takeaways? You know, one thing I got proves again and again that love and faith in Christ has more value in this life than anything that we can touch. Yeah. Get our hands on. It just yeah. speaks for itself. And just having a confidence. And understanding some of the little things that happen in your life, like for instance, that time we ran into each other in Richmond. You know, yeah. Those are miracles. Yeah. People that would call that just coincidence. Right. I don't look at that. Way. Exactly. And exactly. It's amazing to just stand a little bit in faith, mm-hmm. like the mustard seed, yeah. go a long way. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Seventy-seven percent. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's. It's, it's wild. Anything else? Jim, you want to grace us with your wisdom that's been missing for <laughs> six, seven, eight weeks? Well, that whole veil thing is really intriguing to me. Because mm. the veil hides something. And I think the custom was, like when they went into the tent, the husband removes the veil. So what is what it was hidden can now be seen. Yeah. So, I mean... Paul talks a lot about that. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And uh, in another place, he says, but we all, with unveiled face, so like you're coming to Christ, there's no veil. Mm-hmm. You can see clearly. 
For we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So I, I see that whole, when the husband unveils the bride, it's like this intimacy, and she can see the very face of, yeah. of God, you know, yeah. of her lover. And then she becomes what she sees, just like him. Yeah. It's a whole. Yeah. Anyway, that whole veil. Awesome. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Why was it recorded? Why? Why? Yeah. If it wasn't for something, that's that's why I was saying I. That's just where I would go with it, but you know, it doesn't say specifically. But I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. Something to add on to what Jim said. Um, uh, What happened after Christ died on the cross? The veil was torn. Right. uh, Yeah. That separated God from us. Right. Yep. Kind of Amen. Another representation yeah. of um, of his marriage to us being at that point, right? Um, not like as we do works, or right? Whatever. Yeah, engagement of ten days or something along right. those lines. Yeah. yeah, it's immediate. That's exactly right. Now there will be a feast, a wedding feast. Scripture talks about, but that's the reception down at the, you know, Kiwanis building. That's not. <laughs> the the wedding itself, the wedding itself has occurred, amen. Oh, Kiwanis, right? Any uh, any other thoughts or questions or, you know, but wait about wait a minute, what about that or, is this, are we seeing this? Is this, this is pretty neat, isn't it? I mean, it's, it is. I think it's seeing the scriptures by faith, not just simply by sight. Uh, not taking anything away from just the sight. It's, it's historical fact for sure. But there's a mystery in God's history that it, it does something like Doug moved emotionally. It just seeing this story behind the scenes being played out generations before, we, before Christ ever walked the earth. It, it does something to us from the inside. It, 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 it draws us into greater realization, greater confidence of what is true. And it's just awesome. It really is. All right. Well, if there's anything else, let's uh, just stand and we'll be closed with a word of of prayer. Um, And uh, we'll come back next week, see something about these kids, these crazy kids. I've never had twins. I'm not looking to have twins. But it's probably unique to have twins that are coming out where one is pulling the leg of the other. Um, that's Jacob, deceiver, pulling the leg. That's where we get that phrase, by the way, pulling the leg. If someone's joking on you, pulling your leg. That's where we get it from. So uh, we'll come back and see that next week. Father, we just thank you so much for what is hidden. And I pray we're not here just kind of like a Bible trivia 2.0 sort of a thing that we're not just here to say, oh, not only can we answer the trivia question of who was Isaac's wife, you know, to move a piece on a game board or taking that to the next level of even knowing what his wife's name means and how that relates to us in the new covenant. It's not just about information. It's about a revelation of Christ and his love for his bride and the great wisdom of God 
who put all this hidden, but put all this in a book written. And as Jesus stood before the Pharisees in John 5, he said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me for Moses was writing about me. And I think we're seeing here today how Moses, unknowingly to Moses, was writing about Jesus and his great desire to give his full riches to a bride of his own righteousness, his own holiness, his own spirit born of him, compatible with him. He did not give, Isaac did not give himself to the Canaanites, but to his own. And we, by faith, are born of his own. What wisdom this is. And we just say, wow, thank you. And we receive it. Our security is Christ. And I just pray that we would learn just how amazing this good news really is, that we could walk by faith, not by sight, that we could grow ever more aware of our complete and total dependency upon Jesus as we, like Rebecca to Isaac, have been now wed, secured to him as his bride. Thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.